You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 and verses 11 through 13. Don't worship false gods like some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning for us to whom the end of time has come. So those who think that they are standing need to watch out, or else they may fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a lot of different phrases that we have, that we use, that I wonder if we all know their origins. For example, bite the bullet. Uh, It was first recorded in in 1891 that during times of battle, when doctors were short on anesthesia, they would just have patients bite down on a bullet. How about break the ice? Well, back when ships were the main mode of transportation and means of trade, if they got stuck because of an ice found, uh, formation, the receiving country would then sm- send out small ships to break the ice and clear away for the trade ship. How about butter someone up? Uh, it was a customary religious act in ancient India that the devout would throw butterballs at statues of their gods with the expectation of receiving favor and forgiveness. Mad as a hatter, it has nothing to do with Alice in Wonderland, Uh, dates back to the 17th and 18th centuries in France when poisoning occurred among hat makers who used mercury in the felt. And so the hat maker would appear mad as a result. Caught red-handed, an old English law ordered anyone to be punished if they butchered an animal that they didn't own. Conviction happened because the person was caught with the animal's blood still on their hands, hence caught red-handed. And finally, I think my favorite Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So in the early 1500s, people bathed once a year. And when they bathed, everyone in the family used the same water. So the father would go first, and then the mother, and then the children, and finally the babies. And you can imagine that by the time the babies came, the water was pretty dark and murky, and you might miss the baby, so don't throw the water out with the baby in it. Make sure you find the baby first. 
Now, these are all phrases and cliches that have come into our vocabulary without us knowing their origins or understanding their real meaning. Today, we have the last of the well-meaning phrases that we use when we're at a loss of words, when we're looking for meaning and explanation, the last of the which is not in the Bible. God never gives you more than you can handle. Now, this is a phrase that we find in memes, on cross-stitched on pillows, on nice wooden uh, signs that we can hang on our walls. Joel Osteen recently tweeted, God never gives you more than you can handle. If you have a big challenge today, that means you have a big destiny. That makes it sound exciting. But think about what he's actually saying. God never gives you more than you can handle is actually a misinterpretation of Scripture. And today's Scripture, especially that last part, is what's often twisted to say, God never gives you more than you can handle. Listen to these words again. God is faithful. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Now that's been paraphrased, like I said, to say God never gives you more than you can handle, but that's not at all Paul's intent. The scripture comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and it comes at a time when Corinth was quite the place of misbehavior. In particular, there was a lot of sexual promiscuity and idol worship. This is a scripture about temptation. Paul sees what's going on in Corinth, a spot for his missionary work. The church is getting going, and so he's giving them guidance on how to deal with the temptation and behavior that they're experiencing, and that's all around them. He talks about the Israelites and the temptation that they faced in the wilderness to worship idols and talks how temptation is a part of life. Even Jesus was tempted. Think about his time in the wilderness for 40 days. Temptation is part of human nature. The scripture is not saying that God causes the temptation. It's not saying that God is testing us. It says that God doesn't do that, but that God gives us resources to deal with temptation. And yet, when we say God never gives you more than you can handle, we are rarely referring to dealing with temptation. It's usually said when someone is suffering or struggling or enduring some kind of hardship. The statement is problematic because it begins with the assumption that God has given you what you're experiencing. So a friend of mine was diagnosed with breast cancer in her early 30s. Her mom died of breast cancer a few years later after she herself went through chemo and surgery. The year after uh, her mom died, her husband was diagnosed with leukemia. And shortly thereafter, her dad had a massive stroke which landed him in a nursing home. Her husband died just uh, when she was barely 40, leaving her with two young daughters. 
I remember her uh, saying once or posting it or something, if God never gives you more than you can handle, God must think I'm hardcore. Now, when people said things to her like, God never gives you more than you can handle, she didn't really have much time for them. It made her want to scream, and it really made her not want to hang out with Christians. Because the reality is, all of the things that she experienced were awful. Why would God say, you handled cancer, so now I'm taking your mom? Or, okay, I'll stop now. I see you can't handle anymore. That's what the story, or that's what the phrase is telling us, is saying. Her story reminds me of the book of Job, which on the surface might give justification to the idea that not God never gives you more than you can handle. Job is a book of the Bible, and it's a story of how God and Satan deal, you know, come up with this plan, and it's basically a bet to see if Job, who's always been very faithful, will remain faithful if all kinds of awful things happen to him. So to test Job, um, everything is taken away from him. His wife, his children, his home. And all throughout the book, his friends are telling him that it's his fault. And he goes through all kinds of stuff. But... In the end, everything is restored to him because he remained faithful. He gets a new wife, new children, new life. But here's the thing. The book of Job is a fable. Now, theologians from all spectrums, all over, no matter how they interpret the Bible, agree on that. It's a fable. It's a book that is put in the Bible because there are times when we feel like God is giving us all kinds of awful things. We can relate to Job. But the thing is, it's not historically accurate. It's a story about remaining faithful to God in adversity, a story in which Job gets angry at God, argues with God. And that's a blessing of the story because it shows that anger is a very human and acceptable experience and that God can take our anger. Every relationship, even our relationship with God, needs authenticity and honesty. Now, in this story, God is the cause of Job's pain, but in our real-life stories, that's not the case. But sometimes we need to be angry with God and Yet, and always, God remains faithful to us. God's steadfast love is always present and never never taken back. God loves us through our struggles. Adam Hamilton said, The promise of Scripture is not that we won't go through hard times. What Scripture does promise is that at all times, good or bad, God wants to be our help and our strength. The truth is we are going to face really hard times. Adversity, illness, depression, loss, financial disaster. Many of us have already experienced that and some of us are really hurting right now. At some point, we reach the point when it's more than we can handle. 
And that's where I think we get mixed up with the statement, God never gives you more than you can handle. Because what I think, what I hope that we mean is that God will give you the tools to handle the tough times in life. God will give you resources. God will not leave you orphaned. In these times, God gives us people doctors and therapists and pastors and congregational care ministers and friends. And God gives us resources like medicine and hospitals and support groups, the church, meals, playdates, books, caring notes and cards so that we don't have to handle it all ourselves. I've often said that this is how God works miracles in our time. God is with us. That's the promise that we receive at Christmas. God walks with us. That's the promise that we receive during Lent. God knows our pain. That's the promise we receive in the crucifixion when Christ was rejected and persecuted and betrayed and sentenced to death and died a gruesome, suffering death on the cross. And God won't let evil have the last word. That is the promise of resurrection. Evil, death, suffering, they are not caused by God. In fact, the resurrection, the triumph over suffering, shows us that God's will is for life and for hope. Perhaps a rewording of God won't give you more than you can handle could be, God will help you handle all that you endure. It doesn't say that there won't be suffering, it doesn't say that God causes the suffering. It, said that, it says that God is with you and will help you through all that you face. Annie Johnson Flint believed that. Adam Hamilton tells her story. She was born on Christmas Eve of 1866. At three years old, her mother died, and soon after, her father became ill and was no longer able to take care of his children. Annie was adopted by a wonderful, loving family, and she grew up, and as she grew, she longed to be a teacher, and she reached her goal. Not, after, not too long after she achieved her goal, she was diagnosed with a degenerative disease. She was left to, uh, un unable to walk or live independently. For the rest of her life, 40 years, she used a wheelchair. And she spent those last 40 years living in a sanitarium. It was there that she wrote this poem, What God Hath Promised. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest of the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. May God help you handle all that you endure. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God.
To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.